Welcome to episode 84 of the AAEM Resident and Student Podcast Series, a production of the American Academy of Emergency Medicine Resident and Student Association. AAEM RSA is an accessible, collaborative organization that fosters innovation, education, and advocacy for residents and students in emergency medicine. In this episode, Drs. Kirsty Bilardi, Hetal Bat, and Greg Jasani have an in-depth discussion on gun violence. Hi everyone, as part of AAM RSA, my name is Kirsty Bilardi. I am a fourth year medical student just matched into emergency medicine at LSU New Orleans. So I'm very excited to be moving across country. I'm from Western University in Southern California and I've been interested in um, gun violence issues for a few years since joining the advocacy committee at AAM RSA and I've been researching it and I'm really excited to share what I've learned today. I'm Paul. I'm currently a intern over at Trinity Health Systems in Steubenville, Ohio. I became interested in the topic of gun violence just by seeing it as a scribe um, back in the day and seeing what a toll it can take on families and healthcare workers and kind of the implications of gun violence um, is what particularly interests me. I'm Greg Jasani. I'm an attending physician at the University of Maryland. Um, I am also the current co-chair of AAEM's Government and National Affairs Committee. I've been interested in this topic for a while, as, as has already been said. This is an issue that has enormous implications for our field, both for us when we practice, and I think, honestly, us outside of the emergency department as well. I had the pleasure of speaking on the topic at AAEM's Health Policy and Emergency Medicine Conference back in 2019, which was right before, um, which was the last one they had in person before COVID hit. Uh, hopefully, we'll be doing those again soon, and it's going to be a pleasure to talk to you about this today. Thank you. So a good place to start is maybe talking about the relevance of this topic. Um, one of the things I looked into is kind of what some of the national committees have been writing on the topic. And there was something put out in um, 2018 by AAM which talked about, you know, um, whether or not it's really to be in our lane, quote unquote, when talking about gun violence for emergency physicians. And one of the um, things that they had brought up in that piece was a nonprofit organization called um, the Gun Violence Archive that tracks like statistics on gun violence. And I found it very interesting that in the last few years, there's been an increase not only in the number of mass shootings from year to year, but there's also gun violence deaths have been increasing in the United States. So it's not just relevant for the obvious, but it's an increasing issue that I think that we're facing and it's important for us to keep talking about it. I always like to define terms. So mass shooting is defined as an event where four or more individuals are shot and or killed and not including the perpetrator. And just to give you some pertinent statistics for gun violence deaths overall, in 2020, it was about um, 44,000. In 2021, it was almost 45,000. And in 2022, the statistics are still pending, obviously. And then for mass shootings, in 2020, it was about 611. And in 2021, it was almost 700. So it's something very pertinent to us in our healthcare system. Yeah, thank you, Kiersey, for giving those numbers. I, you know, the, this whole stay in your lane uh, notion and even the need that some medical organizations have felt to put out statements around that came about as a result of a tweet that the NRA posted several years ago. I don't remember the exact year. Um, I think it was 2017 or 2018, yeah. um, but it was in the aftermath 
of another tragic uh, mass shooting when the NR when in response to some of the statements and tweets that many physicians, not just emergency medicine physicians, have been putting out, the NRA sent a tweet saying that doctors quote needed to stay in their own lane and quote around this issue. And you know, a lot of medical organizations rightly push back against that notion. And, you know, especially for us in emergency medicine, I think there are very few things, or if any, out in the community that happen that don't impact us in one way or another. Certainly gun violence is one, but just think about it, you know, if a new drug hits the street, if a stoplight is removed and all of a sudden there are more car crashes, all of these things come to us because we are both the first point of contact in the healthcare system for most people and we're also the safety net for a lot of people as well. And you're very right. This is certainly an issue that I think all of us has many, way too many personal and tragic stories about um, that we've seen in our line of work. And so the notion that any medical, any non-medical, excuse me, group could tell us that there is an issue that we don't have a right to weigh in on is quite frankly, in my opinion, um, absurd. Good point. All right, and kind of going off of that as well, um, we can also just looking at like statistics and numbers as well, we can see um, how much of an impact it has on our healthcare system overall. Um, looking at the cost of treating these patients that come in through the ER with uh, these gun injuries amounts to about 2.8, billion dollars annually. Um, and just between the years of 2008 to 2014, there were over 700,000 um, patients that came in through the ER that needed to be treated for this issue. So I, I completely agree, I think, saying that it's not, you know, a part of what we do is completely absurd. Absolutely. And I know that we get bogged down kind of with numbers, but I think it's important to talk about the cost because of the fact that it's not only important to like stakeholders in emergency medicine, it's also the language that we can use when discussing this as an important issue across the lines of different industries. But I mean, as we all know, having experience in emergency departments, it's not just the financial cost, the fact we're seeing it, but it's also the burden on us as physicians, or even, you know, if you're a student out there, if you're a resident, there is also an emotional cost. Um, we talk about kind of the ones not only having to deal with, you know, the actual gunshot wound coming in, but also that patient. And we're often the ones talking to the loved ones of those patients. So there is kind of something that you see that can cause different taxing things. Like some people, I think it was something like 50% reported having almost PTSD-like issues related to some of their care that they practice in the emergency department. This can lead to depression. This can lead to burnout. This can also lead to even um, suicide, which is an issue that we're talking about around like wellness committees and different mental health spheres. So it's important on many fronts. Do you guys wanna get into some of the policies around gun violence? Because I think if um, you guys are like me, I am not always keeping like up to date on the most current issues and it's kind of like where are we coming from in the last few years so if anyone wants to jump in there. Yeah, I think um, just kind of looking back at the policies revolving around um, gun violence, I think we can kind of go back to the 1990s where the CDC was doing research on gun violence at that time and I believe it was like 1993 where 
um, Arthur Kellerman um, started talking about how there's an increased risk of homicides um, in households that have guns inside the household. And at that time, the NRA kind of wanted, you know, obviously it's not going to be in their favor to have this type of research come out. And at that time, the NRA um, started to support uh, something called the Dickey Amendment, which kind of reallocated the funding that the CDC had at that time for um, gun violence research. They ended up reallocating that money towards traumatic brain injuries, which also an important topic, but it kind of takes away from the importance of doing research on gun violence. And I think that's where um, you can, at that time, you can see a dramatic decrease in the funding that the CDC started to get uh, for this type of research. Yeah, and I, I think the, the importance of the Dickey Amendment on federal research really needs to be emphasized. You know, it, it wasn't just that the, the Dickey Amendment reallocated that money um, away from gun violence research into something else, which I agree TDIs are very important as well, but it also forbid federal funding from going into um, gun violence research that could lead to, you know, could be politicized or lead into arguments, at least that's what the amendment said. And it put not just the CDC on notice, it put every federal agency on notice. And the, the effect um, of that on federal spending for this type of research was immediate and chilling. The, the amount of federal funding to this issue essentially went to zero overnight. You know, the, these federal agencies are beholden to Congress and they obviously wanna keep congressmen and women happy because they're the ones who who provide their, their agencies with the funding that they need to keep the lights on and do their work. And so I think it's very understandable that the agencies um, affected took the, took the line that they did and stopped um, providing this, this funding. And, and, but what that has led to is a, a near lack of good high quality research on the effects of gun violence um, in in medicine and in the country at large, because if you think about it, the federal government um, provides a lot of funding and a lot of support for research. And without that, that research probably isn't gonna happen. And in fact, in this country, the only thing that has higher, a higher morbidity and mortality and receives less funding than gun violence is false. Uh, but if you look at the morbidity and mortality and the amount of research funding that uh, something receives for gun violence, it's an absurdly high morbidity and mortality and an absurdly low amount of funding. And as an aside, the, um, the congressman who introduced the amendment, whose last name was Dickey, hence the name, actually later, later on in his career said that he actually regretted introducing that amendment. He said it was not his intent to completely stop funding on the issue, um, just that he wanted to make sure that it was done in a nonpartisan way. Whether or not you believe that is up to you, um, but that's what he has said regarding uh, this kind of infamous amendment that bears his name. And then kind of on that topic too, um, after the 2012 Sandy Hook shooting, uh, Obama kind of made some statements saying that, that uh, the Dickey Amendment should not necessarily be regarded by people like the CDC and the NIH and as a total barring of gun violence research. And um, the CDC was still a little hesitant and he even signed an order in 2013 stating that the CDC should, and other like-minded organizations or, or similar organizations should pursue firearm research. And then um, 
Does anyone want to talk about the spending bill? So the spending bill came out in 2018. Essentially, the government allocated um, trillions of dollars to, um, and this happened right after the Parkland, Florida shooting where 17 people had died. So essentially, the 2018 spending bill states that while appropriations language prohibits the CDC and other agencies from using appropriated funding to advocate or promote gun control, the Secretary of Health and Human Services has stated the CDC has the authority to conduct research on the causes of gun violence. So this is kind of like, it almost sounds like a compromise to me. Um, you're not necessarily um, completely getting rid of the funding, but you're not like promoting um, like research efforts going into it when you're specifically talking about just looking into the causes of gun violence. I agree with that uh, point, Hetel, but just remember, you know, and, and something that I, I want to remind our listeners of is that gun violence is a very, very, very politically contentious issue. Mm -hmm. um, rightly or wrongly, mm -hmm. um, people equate research into gun violence and kind of its causes as potentially advocating for restrictions on gun ownership. Again, whether whether that link exists or not is open to interpretation, but that is that is how certain elements of our political system see this kind of research. I don't think I need to tell anyone listening to this podcast that politics in general is getting much more partisan. And as we see, um, you know, both sides moving more and more towards their bases, I think this issue is only going to get more contentious. And remember, you know, the, these agencies that do this research are ultimately dependent on Congress for their funding, not necessarily, you know, the president who mm -hmm. can certainly sign executive orders. And I, and I do applaud um, then President Obama for doing that. But the, these agencies are ultimately beholden to Congress, and that's who they are going to ultimately try to appease with their work. And mm -hmm. instead of one president, they have to contend with 100 senators and you know, hundreds of House House of Representative um, members. And I, I worry that he, this language is great and I think it's long overdue. I still worry though that in the current environment we are in, these agencies uh, will be very hesitant to engage in this type of research for fear of antagonizing certain elements uh, or certain individuals, I should say, excuse me, in, in our um, legislative branch. Yeah, I definitely agree. And it's important to take pause and understand that that saying that we're interested in talking about gun violence isn't always taking one stance of like being on one side of the aisle or the other. And it's just important to know like how to use the language to discuss this because as part of being in the emergency room, I think it's something that we can't avoid. It's not something that we won't see. But one thing that I also wanted to say, which I think is wild is that some of these discussions we're talking about are happening over policies that are drafted over decades. So it's really important to become not only aware of the stuff, but also be able to talk about it and advocate for it because the change can also take a little bit longer. Um, I wanted to get up to speed on some of the stuff going on right now with this administration, but I wanted to give you a moment if you wanted to talk about, I read about the, the Brandy Bill. I don't know. We can the, Brady, the Brady Bill? The Brady Bill, sorry. Uh, yeah, Brandy, Brandy's my dog, um, and I love her very much. Uh, unfortunately, she does not have any legislation named after her yet. Uh, but the Brady Bill uh, is 
was named after President Reagan's I think press secretary, if I'm not mm -hmm. mistaken, uh, who was injured um, during an attempted assassination on pre then President Reagan's life um, back in the 80s. Um, Mr. Brady was left severely injured. I think he was he was paralyzed for the rest of his life, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and the Brady Bill was passed shortly in the wake of that, and it was it, it implemented some of what we think of now, what we consider standard now, things like um, like background checks, waiting periods to mm -hmm. buy guns. Um, and it, it was actually at the time fairly bipartisan. Again, it, it was done kind of after this national tragedy, which I think certainly helped. Uh, but it was actually passed by a uh, Republican president mm -hmm. and signed into law by President Reagan. Again, he had just gotten shot, so maybe that colored how he how he saw uh, the issue, but I, I think it's worth noting that again, we just mentioned how how politically charged this topic is, but it doesn't always fall down clear cut party lines. Mm -hmm. um, certainly, Republicans can engage in what would be considered, you know, gun restriction restrictive measures, and Democrats can be for removing those measures. And mm -hmm. so, you know. I, I don't want listeners um, from the stock come away thinking that, oh, you know, it, it, this issue breaks neatly down party lines or that you know, certainly not that we're advocating for for one uh, one side or the other. One of the things we wanted to talk about is this new concept of something that was new to me, at least. It may be familiar to some of our listeners, but this concept of ghost guns, quote unquote, um, I was reading about it with um, Biden has just announced a new nominee for the ATF. And we were talking, or in the article I read so that was published in April from a news agency, um, they had talked about these ghost guns, which they defined as like guns that are homemade. You can make it with kits and parts that you can order. And basically it's a, a smaller amount of the guns that are reclaimed by uh, law enforcement, but it's growing over the years, they're saying. So it's, a new, it's an issue that is important. So um, Biden has also been saying that he announced the new firearm regulation that to contain the use of these privately made weapons. And this will address this kind of gap in the government's ability to track these by saying, okay, so the parts for the gun, they have to be um, purchased with a background check and they have to have their serial numbers and things like that. So that's kind of the new news on the topic. If anyone wanted to add to that. No, I, th I think you did a good job of kind of highlighting the issue, um, Kirstie, and what the what the what the issue is and why you know legisla legislation and issues surrounding legislation in general are always a moving target right as you said a lot of these policies were put in place decades ago and it, it served more or less well and you can again make arguments as to how well you think they've they've worked but you know technology changes and technology changes rapidly and now as you said people have the ability to even you know potentially print parts themselves and make guns. And so th this is kind of a natural part of the legislative process where, where you know, current laws, while good, don't necessarily match the reality or the new, the new technology. And so it'll it'll be interesting to see what what comes of this. I haven't heard how groups like the NRA or other pro um, firearm groups feel about this issue because th mm -hmm. this does bring in a lot of legal challenges. Um, but it'll be interesting to see kind of how this plays out and what opposite because there, there inevitably will be opposition to this, but what kind of arguments they make and how that takes shape. And then um, I do I do think like one of the things we want to talk about is some things that either we've experienced or some recommendations we can make to any of our listeners interested in this topic 
what they can do. But I actually have a question because I remember one of the most fascinating things that I learned about, um, you know, getting into emergency medicine and being interested in this as a, something we see as a topic is that um, what was really interesting is each state, if I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, can regulate the scope of practice of emergency physicians. And sometimes that includes whether or not we can ask and how we can ask about, you know, do you have a gun at home and gun safety? I don't know if anyone feels comfortable talking about it, but I found it really fascinating. This is my understanding too. And I, I fortunately never, never faced that sort of um, challenge in my practice. But my understanding is there have been some states previously that have tried to pass laws, not just for emergency physicians, but for you know, physicians and healthcare providers at large to bar them from asking um, those sorts of questions of families. I'm not entirely sure what the legal argument was um, to, to make that claim because we ask all sorts of questions <laughs> of people um, and nobody, nobody seems to care. But you know, it's one of those things where I think elements in those states were just trying to score political points with their base, to be honest. Yeah. Um, men, maybe it worked, I'm not sure. Um, but th that's all I see it as. That being said, I do think it's something that we in the profession, and I, I do think organizations in those states did push back yeah. um, very strongly against that sort of thing. Because again, you know, more and more things are turning, are turning political that maybe shouldn't have been or weren't in the past. And if politicians and legislators feel that they can score political points with their base by, you know, attempting to limit how we, how we do our job, um, that that's a very dangerous precedent to set. And I don't think one, regardless of where, you know, those of us, those of us and those listening to this podcast fall politically, I think that's a dangerous precedent that none of us want to establish, regardless of where we are on the political spectrum. And I think that's a good segue into recognizing something really important. I don't care if um, you may be pre-med student, you may be a medical student, you may be a resident, you may be an attending physician. I think it's really under, important to recognize that we all have a voice. And a lot of the times legislation that comes up that can maybe threaten some of our, I don't know, um, colleagues of practice or our scope of practice, it's important to be able to know that your voice can be used to advocate and fight back or even to push new legislation and just be part of the conversation. Um, I think that's just in general, something important to understand about your power as being in this field. Not only knowing your voice in terms of advocacy, but also just stay informed. I would say some of the things, the takeaways we want you guys to have is that um, you stay informed about your research. There's plenty of groups that do like um, kind of bullet pointed what's new. You know, I know that Kaiser's does like a health one. I know, um, I'm gonna get myself into a rabbit hole. The WHO does one. You can get on like email newsletters about different things, um, probably through the CDC as well. I'm just throwing out names at this point. But keep updated on current research, keep up to, uh, or up to date on like gun safety measures and laws, because one day you're gonna be across the table from uh, like probably a patient. You wanna be able to understand what you're saying. And so it's important to keep yourself not only informed and also use your voice that way. Yeah, and just just one final um, advocacy plug is that, as Kirsty said, you know, use your voice. You, politicians, despite what they may say, want to hear what you, as a physician, have to say. You are a respected member of their community with a very 
specialized um, knowledge base that not a lot of people have. And so just, just by virtue of what you do and the letters that you have after your name, your voice does carry a lot of weight. And I 100% agree with what Kirsty says, be informed, you know, those mailing lists she mentioned are fantastic, but also be informed about what goes on on your local level, on your county level, and on your state level, you know, and it, it's never too early to meet with your local politicians and figure out kind of what they're doing, how they feel about the issue and what they're doing about it. And, you know, advocating on the Hill is certainly something that should be done, um, you know, advocating at the national level is good. But just remember, you know, all those people that you're advocating with on the Hill started somewhere. Local senators become governors who become senators who become presidents. And it's, and I say that I'll say it's never too early to start engaging with those people because they might just be your state senator today, but tomorrow they could be working on Pennsylvania Avenue in DC and getting getting your ideas out in front of them will will you know not only help you but it might honestly end up shaping We hope you have enjoyed this podcast brought to you by the American the Academy of Emergency so, Medicine Resident and Student Association For more information about AAEM/RSA visit the website at www.aaemrsa.org Listen to all podcasts in this series and explore the ways you can get involved with AAEM/RSA Join us again next episode for another topic of importance for emergency medicine and, residents and know, students. AAM at large has a government and national affairs committee, which I'm just getting involved in as a as a new attending. Um, but you know they're doing a lot of a lot of good work too, both on the state level and on the national level. So to anyone listening to this, if you're kind of on the fence about getting involved, um, please do. We need as many voices as we can. So thank yes, you. please thanks, do. Thanks for listening.